So we are in a continuing our sermon series in Job, and so we reach this point, well at least in chapter 19, we reach this point where Job really, from the depth of his pain, he, he, he bursts out, I know that my Redeemer lives and, and gives this amazing hope that even in his very, very sad state, and he believes that somebody will redeem him, and he will be shown that he hadn't done anything wrong to deserve this. Um, so that's exciting today, and it's a part I've been talking about for actually since we started <laughs> this book, that, uh, that there is hope in Job through this book. And there is the hope that he know he's hoping in this Redeemer. It was interesting, in one of the songs as well, we sang about the Redeemer. But let's read together uh, chapter 18 and 19. Oh yeah, and we're in the second cycle. There's these three cycles of dialogue and we're in the second one. And uh, this is built as sec- this is built as second chance to talk. And so he's talked in 18 and Job responds in 19. Then Bildad, the Shunammite, answered and said, How long will you hunt for words? Consider and then we will speak. This is funny. Why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in your anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or the rock be moved out of its place? Indeed, the light of the wicked will be put out, and the flame, and the flame of the fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp above him is put out. His strong scepter shortened, and his own schemes throw him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks on its mess. A trap seizes him by the heel, and a snare lays hold of him, and a rope is hidden for him in the ground, a trap for him in the path. Terrors frighten him on every side, chasing him at his heels. His strength is famished, and the calamity is ready for his stumbling. He consumes the parts of his skin. The firstborn of death consume his limbs. He's torn from his tent, in which he trusted, and is brought to the king of terrors. In his, in his tent dwells that which is not of his. Sulfur scattered over his habitation. His root dry up beneath, and his branches wither above. His memory perishes from the earth, and he has no name in the street. He's th- thrust into, into darkness and driven out of the world. He has no posterity or no parogamy among, among the people, and no survivor where he used to live. And they are the West. I call at this day and honor and horror and horror seizes them at ease. Surely such are the dwellings of the unrighteous, such is the place of him who knows not God. And then Job responds. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with your words? 
These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Why are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If I indeed, if indeed you magnify yourself against me to make me a disgrace and an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out with violence, but I am not ashamed, and I'm not answered. I call for help, but there's no justice. He has walled me up so I cannot pass. And he has set darkness upon my path. He has stripped from me my glory and taken my crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I'm gone. And my hope has been pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troop, troops come Together they have cast up the siege ramp against me and they came around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me. And those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservant counts me as a stranger. I become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him by my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to my, the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me when I rise and talk against, and talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me and those whom I love have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and my flesh, and by my flesh, and to my flesh. And I have escaped, escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me. O oh, you friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were written, inscribed in a book. On that with, with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in a rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer, live, my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been Thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will he pursue me? And the root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know that there is a judgment. Bill, that he can't—he actually only continues what he did in the first time. He doesn't give any new hope. He doesn't give any new encouragement to Job. He continues his talk from last time, and there's this is a. Uh, 
there's these debates whether is he really I mean really really mean or is he just being insensitive or is he is somewhere in between um, is he just contrasting Job and saying well I know Job's not as bad as the wicked but still there just seems to be too many parallels between the things that he mentions that he's not hinting that Job is it's his own fault that this has happened now you would say well if a friend speaks for the second time um, maybe he will bring something new but he doesn't he like we talked maybe last time maybe he's just responding more to what Job is saying and, 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 and Job is provoking them because Job is saying that God is doing this but they all agree that how can God do this if or God couldn't do this if Job hasn't destroyed it so there's a little bit of a, a theological problem here for them where Job would continue to say I have not done anything wrong and the friends continue to try to figure out what he did wrong or how um, but the thing is that then when he gets to speak again or when the friends gets to speak again they, they, they've lost the focus of actually trying to listen to what Job would like them to do because he's calling out for them to comfort him and to help him and to encourage him but that's not what's going to happen uh, Bill that he does respond and he, do, he responds I mean I guess it's fair enough but, and we talked about it last time that now they're responding to what Job is saying and so when Job is being ironic or he's speaking harshly to them they speak harshly to him too and so uh, I didn't say it last time but there's one of the problems that says um, a, calm, a calm answer turns away wrath this is not what we're seeing <laughs> they, they, it's kind of like the opposite and so uh, when, when, when Bildad come, comes back in the first, first few verses and say like what why do you continue to speak and why, why why do you count us as dumb animals why are we stupid in your sight and Job has probably said that that they were stupid at least that they weren't wise um, Bildad makes a conclusion in four then and says well he responds to Job like, you're not, it's not God doing this. You're doing it to yourself. You're the one that's doing this to yourself. So all those things that's happening, it's actually your responses to how God is treating you that is the way that you're, you're tearing up yourself. Then Bill that's used, used the whole rest, he uses the whole rest of his talk, talking about what it's like, what will happen to the wicked. There's a lot of good things in there, but we want to get to the redeemer part because that's more that's more what it is but there's some really good things there's some cultural things and and how about the, the wicked will um this is the view that the wicked are always going to be trapped in their own wickedness they won't get away with things and they will be um their wealth and stuff will be taken away and and it's in the same vein that we see there's a lot of these things that hints at the things that happened to Job. Um, and with Job, it, com it consumes part of my skin. Well, Job has all the skin problems. Uh, there's no, uh, uh, not sulfur, sulfur, but fire from heaven comes down. Um, some people say it's, uh, yeah. 
uh, and then there's no, there's no offspring left, there's no survivors left. There seems to be these parallels of what Bildad is saying that, that the wicked are, that is at least hints at uh, this could be you, your own thought, this is your own fault. Um, so not really too encouraging at all. Um, he just says the same thing. He doesn't comfort or give any hope to Job. And it's interesting to see how Job responds. Um, and like I said, this has been the, this is the in Job that's the one of the chapters that we look forward to, because this gives this it gives this great hope in the middle of troubled darkness. Because um, we remember that Job at this point is now, he lost everything he has, um, he lost his ten children, he, he, uh, his skin is breaking out, healing up, and worms are eating the leftover skin. He has uh, things under his eyes, and his red eyes from weeping. Everybody is uh, scoffing at him, even small children, and also like we read, uh, his own servants don't answer him anymore. Um, and uh, and then his whole family is ignoring him. Um, he respond. He responds to his friends and says, "How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with your words?" So coming back at them and saying, "No, I'm not breaking myself apart. Like, but you are being part of it now. You, your words are just adding to." my torment because you're not giving any hope or release and he, he, he pushes on them and says aren't you ashamed to wrong me like if you're speaking falsely you will be judged for this and he says but even if I did something wrong that will be, that will be my own error but why are you uh, why are you responding this way And then he double, triples down, like we talked about last last week. And then he he goes on this uh, from six. He keeps pushing them and said, "No, God has put me in the wrong, and He's the one that's closest his net." So he references Bilbao's points of like, oh, "The net goes around the, the wicked." He's like, "Well, God's the one who's hemming me in his net. I cry out violence, but nobody's answering." There's no justice. In eight, in eight, it's the same thing as we've been. Eight, eight is the part of our. It's kind of a notion if we see, we see from the prologue that that uh, that the adversary is saying, well, the reason why Job is so righteous is that you have made it impossible for me to attack him. So you, you have hedged him in, so there's no ability for me to make him uh, suffer and to make him have pain, because as soon as you do that, he will curse you to your face. And in the whole, in the way, the way that Job understands the walling in, or the hemming in, or the hedging in, is that, that God is limiting him. But it's actually the opposite. It's the only thing that, um, that keeps Job alive. And then he says in 9, he's taken everything away from me. He was known as the, 
as a um, mightiest man of the East, everything has been taken away from him. And then, like in one of the other chapters, it's like uh, where one of his friends says, well, forever plant, there's a hope. And he says like, no, because me, my hope has been pulled out like the tree and there's no roots left. God has kindled his wrath against me. He counts me as an adversary. We talked about this at the Bible study. People don't like this. It was very good discussion. Because people get kind of a little bit... Um, depends. On, I guess it depends on what you think about adversary or enemy. Because I, I kind of pushed it and said, well, is God our enemy or is God Job's enemy? And we talked about this. We had a good dialogue. And some people were more... Well, it's better to say adversary. But it's kind of the same thing, though. Um, and, and he says in 12, and he's used this metaphor many times, that God is like warring against him as a warrior. Now he uses the siege, siege, siege metaphor where he feels like God is coming around him and building siege works around him just to uh, try to encamp around him and, uh, and eventually tear him down. 13, he's put my brothers far away from me. Everything's estranged. Relatives have failed me. My friends have forgotten me. Um, the guests in my house, they're more welcome. And, it, and he's responding to all the things built as the same about the wicked. He's saying, this is what all this stuff has happened to me. All these things are happening to me. Um, I'm a stranger in my own house. Um, <laughs> I call to my servants. They don't, <laughs> they don't respect him anymore. He has to plead for his servants. Uh, my breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mom. Like his, his brothers and sisters, they don't want anything to do with him. And then, uh, highly, for the culture, highly um, offensive that the children just despise him. And the people that used to be his friends, they've turned against him. And then, my bones stick to my skin and my skin and to my flesh. Uh, there's not much part, there's not a lot left of him. There's like these, uh, you're just skin and bones left. Uh, and then there's this strange thing uh, that somebody, one commentator says that this is actually where the, the this is how it came into the English language. Uh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth it's trying to translate what the Hebrew says here. And I talked to Hannes last time about somebody who, who, uh, who passed their, who passed their um, Hebrew exam by the skin of their teeth. And the teacher says, do you have any skin on your teeth? No. <laughs> because we don't have skin on our teeth. So it's like this, like, it's, it's kind of an impossibility um, to do this. But I just escaped. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, you my friends. Um, the hand of God has touched me. Um, it, so it doesn't really seem like God, ha uh, like the Job has any hope left. But it takes a turn. We talked about this last time too, that um, although Job is convinced that God is doing this to him, he's also pleading and knowing that God is the only one who can get him out of this, and the only one who knows that he hasn't done anything wrong. So he appeals and says, well, I would wish that all these words would be written down, 
So at some point I will be vindicated. And people will see I have not done anything wrong. It's kind of funny because it was penned down. And we can read it today. And Jobus is an extreme example of devotion to God. Even when everything is falling apart. And then we have the great verses in 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see more for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. So, in this extreme deep pain, and maybe also in the part of life, I don't know if this, I don't know if I'm going to be alive, and I, I don't know if I'm going to be alive long enough for God to, to, um, to show me as, um, as not having faults. But if we could just put that down in a book, and then at some point, then, then God will show everyone that I didn't do anything wrong. And he's saying, I believe I will see, I, believe, I know that my Redeemer lives. He has this great hope, he's been talking about the one in heaven, and now he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And also he says, I know that he will stand upon the earth. Then in 26, and even if, even if I will be dead, yet in my flesh I will still see God. So here we have some, the, the Old Testament does talk about resurrection, but not as clear as, as we see it in the New Testament. But this could be him saying, that, well, even, and even that we know from Hebrews that Abraham, when he's offering Isaac, believed that he could even bring him back from the dead. So there's a notion of a resurrection. My eye shall behold, I whom I shall see for myself. Um, so he still holds fast that there is a redeemer. Now the interesting thing is that as he is also wanting, and we talked about it one the other sense, as he also wanted, this redeemer has to be some, somebody who is equal to God, who knows everything about Job and who can talk to. God on equal terms. So, when we look at Job, like, who does he think his Redeemer is? Well, it's like kind of a good question. He, he, he probably doesn't have the view, oh, that I just know that's Jesus. But he, pro he has this hope that there is somebody, and will be, not just, a, he knows there will be somebody. And he, he probably gets that from from the proto-evangelion that we have in Genesis chapter 3, that the one that's promised to come and, and, uh, and crush the head of the serpents. So he has this great hope despite of all his troubles. He has this great hope that his Redeemer, his Redeemer lives and he will see his Redeemer. 
And even if he doesn't see him in this life, he will be resurrected and then see him. And it, it, it just shows us this, the thing we talked about last time. What a great hope. He's totally, he's totally convinced that God is doing this, but he still hopes in God to reveal him and relieve him from this. The question then is, what about you? Who is your Redeemer and who is your hope? And like, do you also know that you'll be judged? Job's in by saying that the Redeemer is also going to come to judge. And he's saying, Don't, are you not afraid to his friends that when you're speaking falsely about God and about me, you will be judged? I have a few passages that I would like us to, to go through. And so in, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul's, he writes to the Thessalonians, This is the evidence of the righteousness judgment of God, that you may be worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God counted it just to repay with affliction those who afflicted you, and grant release to you who are afflicted, as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in the flame of fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. He will come on that day to be glorified in his saints and to marvel among all who have believed. Because of our testimony, you believed to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every good work of faith by his power. So that by the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that all mean? Well, that means exactly what he's looking for. That's what Job is looking for. There's going to be a righteous judgment of God when Jesus returns. The Thessalonians are in some sense in the same boat as Job, except they know who the Redeemer is. But they're suffering. They're suffering for their faith. Paul then comes in and says, Guys, I know you're suffering. Well, you know what's going to happen. People that are inflicting pain on you, God, when He comes back, will deal rightly, justly with those people. And He will grant release to you from your pain. So, so we've been talking about it in the Old Testament, there's not a lot of theology about righteous peaceful suffering. But as soon as we go to the New Testament, it's like, it's an expectation that the believers are suffering. So there's also a lot more focus on lifting up and bringing hope to the suffering. So this is what Paul is doing. It's like, when Jesus comes back, everything will be settled. 
God's righteous judgment will judge the people that have rejected God. And you will judge rightly those people that have made you suffer. That's also one of the reasons why we're not supposed to avenge ourselves. We're supposed to let, we're supposed to even love and bless and pray for our enemies. That they will repent. That they will see Jesus and stop doing that. Because the only one who is the right judgment is God. But we also see here that that is also a severe judgment. If you continue to rebel against God your whole life, it is not very nice what's going to happen. But it is rightful, righteous judgment. Because if you reject the only one who can save you, that is what will happen. Paul continues and he, he says, I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying that Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. That you will have the power to live this life where you are suffering. So we'll text the, the next one. So Paul writes to Titus, for the grace of the Lord, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our, God, great, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself our people for his own possession, who are selves for good works. Oh, what an amazing verse of encouragement. The grace of the God has been, has appeared, bringing salvation to all people who believe. Therefore, we can stop hunting for worldly passions. We can live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this age while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And who is Jesus? What a beautiful sentence. The appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is he? Or what did he do? He gave himself to redeem us from all our lawlessness. The glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh coming to earth to redeem us from our sin, pain, shame, and guilt. Wrath of God, the judgment of God. Why? Why do that work? And how? Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So why would God even redeem? Why would He even send Jesus? By His grace and His mercy, He chooses to. But He doesn't just save us just to sit and do nothing. 
saves us from all those things, that we can be His workmanship, that we can be His hands and feet in this place where we are. And this is such an encouragement for me as a new believer, because like, I don't know what to do. Well, the good thing is, now I'm His workmanship. We also hear in the church call it, we're His ambassadors, um, appealing to people to be reconciled to God. Here we're His His workmanship, and we're created in Jesus for good works. And what good works? Well, God has already prepared them for us, that we should walk in them. So we're saved not just to do nothing, but we're actually saved to have a job. That's not just any job, but a job that's been prepared for us to do good works. So even even our redemption is amazing. It's amazing. But we're redeemed from something to something. Redeemed from pain, shame, guilt, the power of the enemy to enter into God's family by adoption to become His workmanship here. Paul writes in the beginning of Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as Son through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption. Through what? Through His blood, the forgiveness, our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things on heaven and things on earth. Paul bursts out in this uh, blessing benediction of God the Father and Jesus. He says we have every spiritual blessings when we are in Christ. They're in the heavenly places. Chosen when? Before the foundation of the world. To what? To be blameless before Him. Why? Because He loved us. He adopts us as His sons in Jesus. Why? Because it was His will, and it was to be His praise and glory. But how did He do all those things? Jesus, the Redeemer, came, and like we talked about in communion, shed His blood for our forgiveness and our trespasses. That is a massive treasure that we talked about all the times too. That massive treasure of grace. And there's still things to come. There's a plan, Christ's plan for the fullness of time when all things will be united in heaven and earth. The new heaven and the new earth. Mm -hmm.
So when we talk about a redeemer, and Job having to have a redeemer, we, just like Job, need a redeemer. We've rebelled against God, and we cannot come to God. But God, in His love, patience, and mercy, provides in Himself, Himself, through His Son, Jesus. He's able to redeem us from our rebellion, from the law, from empty religion, from the power of Satan, from the coming judgment, and from death. And two good works. We need an advocate just like Job. We need somebody that knows everything about us to die for us, to shed the blood that only can take away sin. All the Old Testament sacrifice was just a shadow of this. But this was the true offering to redeem us, to set us free. And just like I said before, we, well, that will be great. But God doesn't stop there. He has a plan with us. And that's why I just want to encourage all of us to believe. We're not just saved just to survive this world. No, but it, it might be challenging. There's nothing in the New Testament that says that your Christian life would be easy. But He's going to be there. And He's going to use you. Because you got Him in you. And you might, he might use you so he can redeem more people as you share that hope of the one who redeemed you. So that's my prayer for us, that we just, we will get very excited and very emboldened by who Jesus is. Because he's done so many things in and through us. I mean, I, I was just, uh, I'm always hesitant to do, uh, I'm always hesitant to do a, uh, I'm always hesitant to do testimonies when I'm also speaking because I don't want to take up the whole time. But the lady that was, I met somebody crying when I was running because she was so cold. She, she was going to another church and I was like, you just come home with us and you get, get warm. And then she's sitting there and she's staring about, man, I did not deserve to be saved by Jesus. I had nothing in myself that was worth Jesus saving me. And I'm just, yes, she understands she understands that her salvation had nothing to do with her, but really everything to do with God invading her life and saving her. And sometimes we just got to be reminded about, no, I didn't do anything. I was actually against, I was, I was rebelling against God. But He still chose to come and save me. That is great news for everyone. Also the people, and I just want to pray for us, for faith, for our family members, for students, for workers, that we just believe that God's going to use us to bring hope to those people who are definitely lost and need some uh, needs redemption from all those things. From guilt, pain, shame, guilt, empty religion, the power of Satan, the, co the coming judgment. We, we, we just briefly talked of the coming judgment. Nobody wants to talk about that in our society. Because God is evil and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what it happens when you rebel against an eternal God and you have no room to repent and to ask for forgiveness. But we don't want anybody to go that way. We want everybody to see who Jesus is, that they can be redeemed, 
that they can see the love of God in Christ. They can be. They can have redemption, and not destruction. I was just thinking. Uh, I'm getting way. You see this so much in culture. A lot of movies, a lot of series, or anything are, to, uh, are stories of redemption. Everybody loves that story of somebody being really bad, and then oh, somebody comes to redeem them, and everything's good. Because it's so deep in everyone that everybody needs redemption. We just know who can do it. His name is Jesus. May we just be emboldened and, and glad in that and share that hope. And not only just with the people around us, but with ourselves every day. Marvel at why would he ever save you? And not just like, I'm going to worry my blah, blah, No. Be emboldened by the grace that you've been showed. That in Him, you can glorify Him every day. Because He's chosen to open up your eyes to that glorious treasure. We have our, we have our reflection, reflection questions here. Is, is Bill Dad's words helpful? Is getting you apart and across more important? Is the most important part? Is it God inflicting Joe's pain? Will all people glorify Jesus? I forgot that part in my sermon because I didn't use my notes. But you can talk to me about that. <laughs> Do you know that there will be a judgment? What does redemption mean? What are we redeemed from? And what are we redeemed to? No, I'm just close with that. I, I, I listened to a person that said, it doesn't matter who you are, everyone, every time, all the time, will glorify Jesus. Even by, either by that rebellion, which is going to be judged and punished perfectly, and that will give glory to God, or by humbly submitting to God. We also see it in the God. We also see it when the, the New Testament talks about every, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and give glory to God. Nobody is going to stand. Every one will bow. So everyone will glorify Jesus whether they want to or not. Let us be a place where we do that with joy. Let us be a place where we encourage one another to live this out daily. That hope we have within us. And a place where we encourage one another because we can just feel so easily forget every day. So encourage one another daily. And even encourage yourself with this. We have a great possibility of redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord, Savior, Redeemer, and brother and friend. So I just pray that that you might know God, the Lord, our Savior. That you have great joy in sharing Jesus with others. That they might know Him in the same way and be redeemed. Jesus, we just thank you for this time, this moment, this moment of just exploring who Job, Job and just this great hope that he has. Lord, we, get, we confess that we don't have the same types of pain. 
We also confess that we many times just forget how much you've done in and through our lives to open up our eyes to see. Let's pray for anybody here just for where hope is dwindled, that you will bring much hope, much joy. And Jesus, we really see you clearer and clearer. You are a great God, Lord, and Redeemer. We will have great joy and celebrate who we are every day and live that out. We ask that you will help us to do that in this place and for your honor and glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.